Welcome to Earth, A Love Story. I'm your host, Robin Lassiter. This week, we meet Tyler Deal. After a near-death experience from a mountain bike accident, Tyler was propelled into the world of self-healing, where he was forced to examine deep-seated trauma. The self-healing and inner silence has given him gifts that have allowed him to make a profound connection with all life. Today, Tyler works remotely with individuals from all over the world, showing them how to heal themselves while implementing his own gifts for transformation. Over the years, Tyler has discovered the heart of listening to the physical body when his clients would discuss life's challenges and found what looked like molecular blocks within the nervous system as physical manifestations from multi-layered belief systems, trauma, and subconscious memories. You can find out more about Tyler's work by visiting his website, RadicalHeartWorks.com, or by checking the show notes. I hope that you enjoy our conversation. I guess I don't really know who I am, and I don't know if I ever will know who I am. And I say that because it's like every moment that we live, we see ourselves a certain way, and that might not be who we really are. And even... Even people that I see in my experience as spiritual teachers, that's also still an appearance. Mm -hmm. So I'm okay with completely not knowing who I am. And I just know that this, whatever this is, exists. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's, that simplifies it for me. So I don't feel like I'm on a journey discovering my true self or what my true nature is or all these terms we hear in the spiritual community, I think for me personally, um, I don't care so much about that. I care more about, you know, just appreciating my own existence and my own experience, um, whatever that is, uh, bad, good, however, whatever duality terminology we want to use. So that's, that's kind of my focus today. And then I can go back, but my focus today is, is, learning how to appreciate and uh, this existence, whatever that is, mm. and however that unfolds for me. So I, I could say, going back the first four years of my childhood, I was a very happy kid. Uh, like most children, not all children, like most children are at a young age. Um, they don't have any responsibilities. They're not trying to be anything. You know, they. Um, they find, they find delight in the simplest of things. Um, you know, humor comes spontaneously. Mm-hmm. All of these things that adults are trying to get back to today. Um, right. I was that, I was that, I guess, quintessential happy, open kid. So today you, people might say, Oh, well, you know, children are awake. I guess that would be the closest thing to being, um, what awakeness is or just being free or liberated. Mm-hmm. So I was that kid. And I think what, because I was that way, I had a connection with the earth. I saw all things as alive, even what we consider inanimate objects. Um, I had names for things. I mean, I, I had, uh, weird names for people that had haircuts, like, um, like I had a bowl cut and I can't remember the name I had for that. I had like blonde hair and like this bowl cut. 
but I would like, I would label these names that didn't even make sense. Like somebody had a melon cut or a Bobby new scene cut. So I was very creative in everything that I saw and interacted with. I think like a lot of kids are, and I felt we had an orchard. It was about an acre and a half or two acres. This is in Northern California, a little town called Los Altos, which now is like a huge part of the Silicon Valley. But back then in the 70s, in the late 70s, it was just a little, little town. And I enjoyed my life, I can say. My story is remembering, enjoying my life. Mm. My parents would host a lot of parties. And so I remember just running out there and entertaining them, you know, even if it was um, nonsense, but I didn't consider it nonsense. I'd like to make people laugh. That was my joy. And it actually became my joy later in life. And I still like to do that. So... My childhood up to that point was very, uh, very free. <clears throat> my parents had made a decision. My dad was going to move his company, or he did, which means move the family to Washington State. Uh, when I was about four, it was about six months before my fifth birthday. And I didn't know what was going on. Like a little kids, a lot of kids do. They don't know what the parents make decisions and you just go along with it and think that everything's okay. And even in the car ride up to Washington, I was happy and singing and everything. And then just something kind of like this cloud came over me. And I can even look at my pictures on my fifth birthday and I could see like this, this veil or cloud came over me. And I don't know what it was. I can't describe exactly what that was, but it was just a shift in energy. And I began to taste what unhappiness is or that sense of sadness and depression and you know as a kid when you're when you're so young you're not thinking about who you are who you're becoming so when these kinds of things happen or these kinds of energies come into you it's it was kind of a shock to my system i began to see that my parents fought more um my dad was ultra conservative and my mom's always been pretty liberal so there was this it's like, how do these two people ever come together, you know, right? <laughs> and my sister, I noticed, who's three years older than me, she she had withdrawn a lot. So she was with friends and she didn't want to really be around mom and dad. And we still played a little bit, but she was getting older and she was trying to discover who she was and and what was making her happy. So this cloud, I get getting back to that, it just felt like um, a lot of sadness and oppression and just witnessing a lot of fighting in the family, uh, some emotional, some physical, just some uh, abuse. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, seeing my mom get really sad and seeing my dad trying to keep his business going. And um, always be, you know, traveling all the time, then coming back home and feeling a fear and like the steep fear. And so I would actually, I would actually wait. I did, I could feel this fear coming like, you know, like an hour before he came home. And then I would try to go hide and everything that I would do, he was putting me down. So it was like, you know, I would cut my hair a certain way. I started taking ballet classes, which I loved. Um, you know, he would make fun of me for that. 
So all of these things, I, I didn't have a real uh, strong sense of who I was in the in the sense that I didn't like who I was. I was made to feel bad about enjoying myself as a kid or trying to trying to develop my use my my creativity in certain ways, such as ballet and soccer. And so it really kind of came down to to me in a way protecting my mom from my dad and then also trying to stay away from my dad at the same time. So it was a hard childhood. And then 1988, my parents separated. They didn't divorce. They separated. And I went and lived with my mom. And then I, I was about 12 or 13. And then I felt the sense of freedom again. I started to feel the sense of freedom and uh, connection with people. I went from going to private schools to public schools. And I was really happy once I made that or that decision was made. I started to, you know, go into the forest more. I started to ski in the mountains. So my my re- rekindling with nature became strong again. And I made some really amazing friends through high school. And but at the same time I was like kind of this rebel teenager. I mean, I lived lived outside of Seattle, so I would, you know, go into the city and see all these bands, go to parties. Uh, started to, you know, smoke a lot of marijuana, take a lot of acid, drink a lot on the weekends. So that wasn't really helping me either with, you know, as, as a teenager. And I think, I think that that substance abuse probably kind of accelerated that depression mm-hmm. once again and not liking myself. And it was reflected in my environment, even though I had friends and I was, you know, doing my thing, it was still like, I still felt pretty shitty about myself. So, I mean, I know this is a lot. There's so much in between, right? When you look back Mm -hmm. at your past, it's like, yeah. And then I went off to college. I applied for one school, Humboldt State University in Northern California in Arcata. And um, I got in, (laughs) I got like a 600 on my SATs, which is horrible, like total, but my grades were good. So I got into the school and that began to change things as well. So I don't know how much further you want me to go. Do you want me to go into my time there or do you want to stop and ask questions, Robin? Yeah, well, I just, I mean, I certainly resonate with a lot of what you're saying and, you know, reflecting on that, the time when you were so young and feeling all of this joyfulness and sort of what I call a kind of blueprint that we come in with that's just particular to us. And there's was a time in my life when I was very close to that blueprint and it felt very easy, you know, and then the shock comes in and that kind of sets us on this path. And as you were, as you were talking, I was wondering, like, does it have to be that way? Do we have to, <laughs> to sort of fall out of that, um, that goodness and blueprint as children or, what would it be like if things were different? I don't know. So those were kind of the things that I'm thinking about. And of course, the substance abuse, that's my history as well. You know, just uh, feeling very sensitive and not feeling great about myself and looking for an escape. And that works great for a while. For a while. Yeah. For a while. Yeah. Tell it doesn't. <laughs> yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if, it, if that's what we signed up for. It's, 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 I have no way of knowing because I can't physically see my blueprint right now. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. if I could, 
maybe it is. Maybe we do choose our parents. Maybe we do choose our path. Again, it's like I have to go back to my own experience. I can hear all these things in the community. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, you, this is, you know, you're meant to be here. This is an amazing time on earth. And, and all of that's great, but I have to come back to, am I experiencing that or not? Mm-hmm. Um, if I haven't, then I have to, to ask questions with myself or just be open to experiencing whatever, right? I do believe we come in as pure spirit. I don't think that all of our spirit can come into our body because that would be too much. But I believe our spirit's always with us, um, even if it, part of it's in our body and part of it's around. I feel like there is like this greater, greater power. I don't even want to say power, but greater beingness. Would you, whether you call that God or, or um, the ultimate creator, whatever, that is kind of orchestrating things. But it's like. Why would he, she, I say she, (laughs) but is, you know, why would she actually give us the suffering? I don't know. Maybe we're like renegades to come here and to help shift Mm -hmm. things and and to to, to bring our own love and our own signature and to help other people um, kind of pull them out of, out of the darkness. So maybe that... The trauma, maybe the hard times is what we need to experience. So to help other people, that's kind of what I believe, because otherwise, how could how could there be a reference point for people to understand, like, or help somebody coming to you? You know, maybe they had all this trauma and you had something similar, or at least had the same similar experience as you write, Robin. So they but if you didn't have any of that, and somebody came to you, it's like, how useful is that or how? Could you actually help somebody? Um, I don't know. Yeah. You, know, you can get all the training in the world mm-hmm. uh, to deal with this, but if you haven't actually been through, even if it's not the same thing, but the same feeling or the same kind of experience, similar, then you, I think you can be, you know, you can be there for them and, and help them. Yeah. I mean, so much of what you said, first of all, this idea of, you know, we do hear all of these things in the community, right? We hear that sound pretty great, <laughs> especially like I clung to a lot of those things at first and I still do. I still check in with them and test them out, but I completely agree that the, that checking in with the experience that's come through my body with my personal experience has been, it is the thing that I can, I don't even, uh, I couldn't even say for sure what an experience exactly is, you know, are these lights, are these beings of lights? Are they ETs? Are they, I do believe that there are nature spirits. I believe there's a lot of things going on, but I couldn't, I couldn't say exactly what it is, but I know that it happened to me. And I know that it went through my body and that I've, I, I have a loose narrative around it so that I can, so that I can live through it in a way that feels really authentic to me. So I'm not constantly checking in with the external, like the external definitely still informs me, but it's our experiences. I think it's my, the experiences are my sort of uh, foundation and where my feet are, you know, and if, if I get confused or, or overwhelmed with these questions, I go back to them and I think, okay, what do I know? I know that I experienced this. I know I experienced this. Yeah. And then yeah, the idea of, I mean, I have, I believe that as well about the soul, uh, or the spirit or 
you know, whatever is animating this form that we, that is the constellation of me, right? All these different parts and pieces is not all of me. And, um, I recently had a fantastic conversation with some friends of mine where we said, it kind of means that we're already dead, which is great. <laughs> it takes a lot of pressure off this. Like we're always already dead. And then we come here and do this really intense thing. And it doesn't make this any less real, but we've, but we are already in that space. And that for whatever reason hit me at the right moment and the right time. And just me, I was just like, yeah, it made, it kind of took the pressure off a little bit because I have, I have a lot around death and you know, the approaching of death and what we do with it and how important it is as a reminder for life. And then the trauma, I kind of feel like there's, that we do get to tell stories around our experiences, you know, that they are not fixed in time and mean only one thing. You know, I could have a story that I was a, you know, deeply disturbed, uh, hallucinating addict for 25 years or whatever. That's true. Maybe except for probably mm -hmm. except for maybe the hallucinations, but I could also have a story that those traumas exactly as you said were what brought me to a place where I can I'm not afraid of people's grief, you know, I'm not afraid mm -hmm. of people's pain and people's suffering. I have capacity to sit with that because I've survived my own. And so was that part of my blueprint? I don't know the answer to that, but it's there. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, if it can, if it can be sort of alchemized as something that can be of service, then mm. that's the story that I want to tell about my, you know, about the experiences. Yeah. Mm, that's beautiful. Yeah. Just, just knowing that, knowing that you have that, that you can give. To have even if to have some kind of reference point, you know, mm -hmm. otherwise, otherwise we're not grounded. So that's what I guess the story of ourselves, we can we can kind of look at that in different like if it was like this ball, we can look at it from different angles, mm -hmm. you know, then that helps us somehow be able to you know figure out how we can be of service. And then, you know, you might surprise yourself. You start working with people and then whatever comes out of your mouth. You surprise yourself because that's just you knowing from that experience it's it's in your it's in your blood so to speak mm -hmm. how how to be able to assess somebody and i think that's kind of where we're if there was like i would say like an awakening that's that spontaneity mm -hmm. i mean there's different parts of it as far as stepping into joy but also being able just to speak and and to be able to assist somebody in the moment, almost like an emergency situation when people, you know, they all of a sudden they come together and they just start working. It's mm -hmm. kind of like doing that individually for people in a similar sense where you know what to say, you know how to help them. And it's, you're not thinking about, again, your training. Mm -hmm. you're, it's, it's, it's within your blood. And from those experiences, you can kind of bring forth whatever that gift is for other people, that, that gift that you have for other people to receive. But yeah, that is interesting with, you know, we're already kind of dead. Maybe that does take a lot of pressure off it. We're, we're eternal, supposedly, you know, mm -hmm. we can never die. So it's okay that 
our body bodies wither away and um you know we get aches and pains maybe it doesn't feel good but maybe we'll feel better <laughs> at some point once <laughs> so we get back to that place or, yeah. that's the hope right yeah <laughs> yeah 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 and never negating the realness of this place in our experience you know how yeah, it's hard here and it's not nothing. You know, I think that for me, the, the kind of spiritual bypassing of going to another place or identifying with the, what I'm calling tentatively as I kind of figure this out in my head, but this already dead part, the part of us that's already on that side or in that realm, lots of suffering. I, I gave myself by over identifying with that and bypassing all of my suffering in this body, the reality of the body will wither away that we will have loss and all of those things It it didn't, it doesn't save us from any of that. It's very real, but it also means, I don't know, I guess for me, it kind of means we survive it. We get through it, you know, we, and that hopefully we do it well so that it informs something on the other side. Yeah. I think that in that survival or that getting through it is a part of being human but it's also, it also shows our capacity to love, you know, feeling those emotions, mm-hmm. being, being in front of somebody that's dying or whether that be an animal or, or a loved one that just shows how much we actually have a capacity to love. And maybe that's like a unique trait that humanity only has. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I want to ask you a little bit about joy because that is such a big one for me. There were so many years of my life and I was like, nope, no, thank you. I not even no, thank you. Like, I don't even know how to access joy. I don't know how to get, I was just sort of surviving all of the trauma. So kind of going back to, to sort of your story was there, you started with joy, you know, did you have to refine your way back to it? And did you like me, ever feel that it was really dangerous. Like joy started to feel really edgy and dangerous for me because I I had gotten very used to suffering and it felt very unsafe to sort of hope for something on the other side. I'm just curious if there's any resonance there. Yeah, I think there is some resonance there. I And just to go with what you said at the end, that we get comfortable with our traumas and with our suffering, I think that's very common. It's almost like we don't want to change. We know that that it's right there. We know that that joy is possible for us, but it's almost like we get we're too. Well, what if I let go of my trauma? What if I let go of how I view the world? Then what? What? Who would I be? Maybe that's that's the fear. There is like, what would I be if I didn't have those things? So yeah, and so getting back to the first part of the question. Uh, I think it is a journey and maybe it isn't for some people. Maybe some people are just totally joyful <laughs> their whole lives. I don't know. You know, I think it's even simpler than we make it. And, and it's probably for us because we're such, not us, I'm not talking about you and me or everybody, but just in general in this Western world, um, we're so in the head. That it's like, well, what would happen if we were to bring that energy down into our hearts? And that's where the children reside. You know, that's where our kids reside is, is in their hearts. So I think the joy is linked to that, that sense of peace, inner peace, 
And then also it's linked to like our physical energetic heart. And I say peace is because we have to have that peace first from my experience. And of course, I'm going back to my experience in order to experience that joy. Because I think joy is spontaneous. It's not something we we can control. We can want it, but it, it, it tends to come in at a moment when we're not expecting it or when I'm not expecting it. So that's where laughter, you know, laughter is spontaneous or deciding to do something that you wouldn't normally do, but your intuition guides you to do, you know, uh, to speak to somebody that you wouldn't normally speak to or to do something, you know, out of the ordinary. I think that that can be joy as well. So joy doesn't have to be defined as just laughing and and being happy. I think joy can be also being drawn or listening to that that deeper part of us that's like the the still small voice or that part that's not the mind machine you know that's talking all the time and so for me i feel like uh at least now in my life i do have those moments i'm not seeking for more but i know that there's more there and i find it i tend to find it more when i'm appreciative of myself um, or whatever this <laughs> meat suit or being or spirit or whatever it is, being appreciative of that and then also being appreciative of just my, you know, daily experience, people around me. Joy tends to come more from that place of appreciation is what I found. Mm. And if, can you talk about how, if there was a time when it wasn't that way, you know, how, it came to be that way again or how you, you know, did you go through a time in your life when you weren't feeling that and sort of the journey to the place where you can now appreciate? Yeah. So I had a near death experience when I went to college and um, I left, left Washington state to go to Humboldt state and I ended up being there two years. When I went there, I started to get really depressed I was still drinking. I was still humbled as known for its um, premium marijuana, I guess. So I was smoking, smoking a lot of, smoking a lot of herb and, um, I was meeting some cool people, but it just felt very surface to me, I guess. But I was really drawn there because of the forest, the redwood forest. And, mm -hmm. and it was also five miles from the beach. So I could go to the beach too. And it was like, Oh, I've got beach and forest, like my two favorite things, you know. You go a little bit further inland and there's mountains too. So I was very happy in that regard. And, but I, I felt like I just wanted to really kind of with, be withdrawn a lot. And I think that had to do with how I was not really understanding the depression that was coming on mm -hmm. and pushing it away in my teenage years by substances and partying and going, seeing Nirvana and, little homes <laughs> play, you know, I mean, all those kinds of things and punk rock. So I was just like pushing it away. And then, so it, it was resurfacing. So now I had, even though I was taking classes, I had more of a, there was a space now for that to come up and nature, nature, you could call it allowed that space to open up within me. Hmm. Um, but I didn't see it, see it that way at the time. I saw it more as, like, you know, who the fuck am I? You know, 
I, you know, I, I don't like myself, all of those kinds of feelings. And so I went into the forest and I just tried to be with that as much as possible. That was get away from people, go into the, to the magical redwood trees. And, mm. um, but it became stronger. And I just, this, the sense of not liking who I am. And maybe that not liking who I was was how I saw myself. It wasn't really who, who I am. Um, it was more of just not liking how I looked, how I felt. You know, I even had a girlfriend who I really loved, but I still didn't like myself. So I ended up breaking up with her mm. and getting to the point of like, what's the point? You know, what's the point? It's like, why even be here? You know, I knew that there was something better of which felt like something better beyond this world to me. And I would just wanted to go there. And um, so it became this, this experience, this conversation with whatever was out there, whoever would listen to me, you know, uh, to, you know, please take me. I don't, I don't want to hurt myself. So just please set something up for me so I can go. Mm. Cause, because this, you know, this, I don't, this sucks. I almost said fucking sucks, but I didn't know if your audience wanted me to swear. We okay. love, we love the word fuck. So you can say okay. as much okay. as you want. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, my sailor mouth can really come out. I'll try to tone it down a little bit. <laughs> All of you is welcome. So however okay. you want. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So everything I did, you know, tried to, I, I took theater classes. That was another thing that I really loved doing. Um, I had these really thick, long dreadlocks. And I remember going to my theater teacher and saying, I want to be an actor, you know, and, and he told me, uh, well, you're going to have to cut your hair off. Mm-hmm. So then I cut my hair off and then I felt worse about myself. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I shaved my head. And, um, so that wasn't, that was an outlet for me as well. I think, I think if I didn't have those two things, the, the acting and the, and the, um, the forest, you know, or the nature, then I don't know what would have happened really. So end of my second year, I decided it was even, it was like, it was getting heavier and heavier and I didn't know how to process it. I didn't want to talk to anybody, Robin. It's like, I didn't think, I thought I was the only person in the world that felt this way. It's like, who would understand me? You know, who would I go to a counselor, school counselor? Yeah, right. Like Mm -hmm. they're going to talk about my classes or, you know, ask that I see a psychiatrist. It's interesting that the world sees trauma in such a way that we feel like we have to treat it with with drugs that just actually suppress it more. And I was like, I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. So I um yeah, so I didn't I didn't hurt myself, but I kept having that conversation of please take me. I don't want to be here. And then just after my second semester a few weeks, it was May 27th, 1997 mm-hmm. is when I, is when I had that experience when I crashed in the forest and, um, had, I guess, a near death experience or a near death, near, near death experience. I don't know what, whatever the labels are these days. Mm-hmm. Um, I crashed on my bike. I hit a jump and I came down on my front tire and, I hit my head and I could just like, I don't know what they, I don't even, when you're just going, when you have 
like there was a second of like okay this is it mm-hmm. but i wasn't even thinking about it like i wasn't thinking oh what do i need to do you know to to um that it just happened so fast that i think that i just kind of allowed it to happen and my body relaxed and i believe that's why i didn't break any bones because that wasn't tense mm-hmm. i just was like a just allowed it to happen so yeah i my body left or my spirit left or whatever that part of me left and didn't go to heaven. It went to my heaven, which was nature Mm. um, and just saw it from a different perspective. And when I say I saw from a different perspective, it was, I just felt like, like, you know, you can take a breath. And I, Mm. I, I, I was at peace and I felt as close to what I consider myself as I know and just that feeling of expansion and peace um, no worries connection and I could just sense the nature around me I could feel the aliveness of it in ways that I never had before I could you know I I could hear animals but it I felt like they were really close to me I could see and hear the ocean that was way out, mm. way at five miles, ten miles away, and so I just, I just kind of stayed in that space. I don't know how long it took. It actually is very interesting because when I had these memories come back about my, about this near death experience, it wasn't like a like this happened, this happened, this happened. It, it was more like little pieces that I had to put together to see to tell a story, mm. right? Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe this happened two days before and I was in my dream state. I don't really know, but it felt like this was the progression of it. it crashed. I went up into the trees right above the redwood trees. I began to have, uh, be oversensitized to everything. Mm-hmm. And that was, I mean, there's more detail. I don't know how much detail. I can tell you, but I basically looked back down at my body and just knew that that part of me that I had been seeing, perceiving as myself wasn't really me because this felt like me. It almost felt like the same feeling as when I was like, you know, four years old. Mm. Um, just that, just that joy and that expansion. So I was like, well, why, you know, I'm thinking now, not thinking then but thinking now like why the heck would i want to go back there because there was a question that came up like do you want to go further whatever further meant i don't Mm -hmm. know or do you want to or do you want to go back and that's i I said i don't want to die so it was that expanded part of me that was saying i don't want to die because it obviously knew better (laughs) Mm -hmm. than the me that was like you know doing this all the time right Uh, and I went back into my body, and that's when I had an experience with fairies. Maybe I was still in that state, but I knew I was in my body because I could feel the pain. Mm. And then I saw fairies coming down, coming down from like the crowns of the redwoods because they have these big, thick green crowns at the top. So I saw them coming down. They were there as support team. So maybe maybe fairies are my angels i don't know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know so they look like little humans with wings maybe they were the fae maybe they're pixies i don't know the terminology 
but they look like little humans and different colors. And they were just kind of swirling around, going up and down and giggling. I remember the giggling because it was very high pitched and I knew it was giggling. Mm. And so I was just sitting there and it didn't feel like it was, I wasn't like, oh, wow, oh my gosh, this is happening. It just felt like it felt natural, I guess you could say. Uh, I had an experience several months prior when I was laying on my girlfriend's bed. And I think she was in the other room doing homework, but I was laying there. And my heart was like, boop, 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 because I was really in love with this person. Mm. And and when your heart's really open, your your inner vision starts to open more. I don't know if that's your experience, but that's my experience. It's a beautiful way to put it. I haven't thought of it in exactly that way, but I, I felt it when you said it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I saw fairies then, just in my inner vision. Mm-hmm. Um, they look like the same ones. They're, they're the guardians of the redwoods. And so I had that, I was just watching that for a while. So that was, so when this was happening, I was back on the forest floor, the canopy of trees. It was like that, but my eyes were open from what I could see, from what I knew. Mm-hmm. And then I noticed my, like my auditory senses began to really open and I could hear, hear this, uh, this ringing sound and i knew that it was the trees Mm. and the beautiful trees were there to support me and they were sending i guess i because i could feel like these ways these waves of energy moving through me so it's the idea of the sound and then just that the energy that goes along with the sound um washing through me so as that was happening i was also i was like okay (laughs) I'm in my body, and then I realized it was like, okay, I'm in my body, and I'm feeling this, and then I could feel the pain again. Mm-hmm. And so my attention went off what was happening around me, and it just came back, and it was like, oh, this horrible pain. And it's like my consciousness shut off at that point. So there's a story mm-hmm. that I wasn't going to tell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How, I mean, and I understand that. I mean, telling my, there are parts of my story that, you know, it's the experience that happens, right? It's this big thing that breaks down all of these ideas about consensus reality and is in some ways so glorious and so transcendent and amazing. And also for me as well, like right, right, right next to suffering. And it's difficult. And it's not integrated immediately. Like it takes a really long time to integrate it. It's life changing, but not in a snap. Maybe for some people, but not for me, it wasn't. It's all of these things have been just continually sort of opening my beingness to this other way. And it needed to be authentic and to go slowly. So, so, and I also know that it's, you know, having read my book and like just the process of writing a book and writing, getting all of it down and out and turning it into a narrative. There is a time when it's like, okay, I'm done with this story. Cause there's all these other things happening now that feel more present and important. Like those are really important. I'm really grateful for all of that, but that's not where I am today and now. So I understand that difficulty in telling the old stories. Yeah. So thank you very yeah, much for yeah. doing that. Oh yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. So, so, 
did you notice like when you were writing your book that did you have more memories come in as you were writing? I did. I, I was paying attention to details that I think I would have let go. You know, I I think I would have skipped over if it wasn't this slow process of, you know, in my book, I say I'm storytelling myself into being, I'm, I'm taking all of these things and turning them into a narrative. And so, yeah, a lot of memories came back a lot of, it was a very alive alchemical process to, to tell the story. And I feel like it really wanted to be told and really needed to happen. And I will very gratefully and lovingly send it on its way into the world <laughs> when the book <laughs> is, is done and, and it's like book form. And then it can go live its best life in the world and I can continue with my, with my life. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. That's a good way to look at it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, well, I've only read, I've listened to, um, I'm in chapter six now, so I haven't finished yeah. it, but yeah, thank you for giving that gift to the world. And, thank you. Um, now you're going to have a lot of people interviewing you, asking you to tell your story again. You're like, it's in the book. <laughs> I read it. I told it. I'm happy to talk about it, but it is interesting to see that process of like, cause I was very attached to it, you know, at first I don't, was that how, did you experience that? Did you come out of that experience? Like, Oh, something happened that was important. I mean, honestly, not, not every time something happened or every experience, but when I finally started to frame it, it became a very important story for me and had a lot of charge to it and a lot of uh, healing power for me and just power in general in that story. So I, how was it for you? Yeah, definitely the same for me. There was a lot of charge like, oh, I need to tell this. And like, like I've said in the past to people, it's like, well, why are you telling this now? It's like, because of that reason, mm. you know, it, it, there's, it's, it's healing for you. So, you know, might, some people might look at it as selfish. I mean, I don't look at it that way. I just look at it as that need to express and then heal the help. Maybe it's like the completion of that healing mm. process, you know, like we've done all of this work in the past. And, and for me, it wasn't definitely wasn't immediate. I mean, it took me years to get to the point where I could actually tell it for the first time last year. Right? Oh, wow. So, yeah. <laughs> I didn't yeah. realize it was that, that recent for you. Um, yeah, interesting. Yeah. yeah. So we're in similar places where like the intensity of telling it and the urgency to tell it, and then that wave sort of moves through and where it sounds like we're both kind of experiencing what's on the tail end of that. Does that sound right? Yeah, I think so. Mm. Yeah. Whatever, whatever is on the tail end of that, I don't know, mm. but it's, but I know what you're saying. It's like that, at least the tail end of the 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 storytelling aspect mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and the need to to tell it. Yeah, so that I think that's a good place to be too. You know, I guess I guess the me not knowing is the like what's the next thing, mm-hmm. but that's okay not to be. It's it's good to be in that space too, right? Mm-hmm. So, what is a lot of possibilities? Yeah, so it was after my accident, it wasn't um it wasn't similar to other stories that I heard and I really didn't listen to many NDE stories until, you know, just a few years ago, really because I because I you didn't hear about it much in 
mm-hmm. the late nineties and the early two thousands. And, you know, uh, who am I going to tell the story to? But there was also the integration process. So, so being able to get to the point where I could actually remember everything and, and form a story about it didn't happen. You know, I was getting like pieces of it and remembering, you know, of course I remembered right when I even getting out of the hospital, I was like, I remember the fairies and I, but, but I wasn't like thinking like, Oh, what does that mean? Or, mm-hmm. You know, what's the big message or why am I still, I just felt like, why am I still here? Mm-hmm. You know, this sucks. And now every, after all of these emotions that I haven't processed, now I'm in a body that feels like crap mm-hmm. and I have to heal that. It's right. like just another thing. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so it actually became what I was feeling before emotionally and, you know, psych, psychosomatic, all of that stuff took on like an intense new form. After that experience where it got so intense, you just have to face it. You just have to feel it. You just have to look at it. Um, you don't have to think about what it means. You just have to be with it. And that's what I had to go through for many years. I keep saying we, but I mean me, really. So it was like I still lived my life. I went and traveled. I went to Australia. Ended up going to drama school. Came back to Hawaii for a while, then went to LA. So I had, you know, I still lived my life, but I could only process or deal with what I could at the time. So I couldn't do, you know, the first nine months were very intense. I had to go through a body healing and I had some help doing that from somebody. And then with the body healing, of course, comes all the other stuff because, you know, one part of your body's touched, then all the memory comes up from that one, from that one area. So I could only deal with, even though it was tense, I couldn't deal with it all at once. And it felt like it wanted to be dealed with, dealt with all at once. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just couldn't. So I didn't really do drugs anymore. I didn't really drink, you know, every once in a while, maybe I had something up until like, I think it was like even 15 years ago, 10, mm-hmm. 15 years ago. I was like, I can't do any of that anymore. It was more so kind of escaping or not even really escaping, Robin. It was more focusing on my creativity Mm. just to try to get back into that place of joy. And so that's where acting came in for me. Getting on the stage or getting in front of the camera, I ended up going to L.A. for a while, doing a lot of commercials and working with some great coaches there and having a blast doing that. And simultaneously learning about body work and healing. I saw what could be done with the people that helped me. Mm -hmm. Uh, There were a few people that helped me and I was like, Oh, well, that's cool. You know? So then I ended up studying that and that became a big part of my journey as well. Learning body work and touching people and moving through my own stuff as I'm touching people and then also helping, uh, just learning techniques and tools, I guess you could say. So, I mean, that's, that's a lot in just a few paragraphs, I know, but. Thank you for showing, sharing all of that. It's really, yeah, it's so many things. Cause I'm finally, after all my years of kind of repressing, repressing things and not being able to, to work directly with the things that we're calling to be worked with. Like I'm finally deeply entering into somatics and, 
and body work and things like that. So you bringing forward the idea of like doing the healing work and having, you know, one part of your body is holding all of these things, not just from the accident, it sounds like, but also the, you know, the things that we hold in our body that want to come up to be seen. And it's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot of sensation. It's a lot of emotion. And from my, my experience is that as the capacity builds for that, then we have space to feel all of that that needs to be felt. And also just being with is a big deal for me. It's, I work with that a lot with my clients and for myself, you know, can I just be with this? Even if I can't, you know, the whole thing can't move through right now, but just being with this. So yeah, I love that you explored the healing modalities that were helpful for you. And that's a common story for, for me and for others, I think as well as this, we gather the tools and then can use those tools to help others Yeah, because of the trauma. Yeah. So I'm, I'm in why I am doing, I guess you could say uh, I'm working with people mm -hmm. um, in a capacity where they can talk to me about what's going on and then I can, it's not even, I don't even consider it me. It's more like just kind of these eyes come through and I can see what's going on as they're talking and what their, ex, you know, whatever their pains or their experiences at that time. And I can kind of see where the thread is. Maybe it goes back to the past. Maybe mm -hmm. it's even something from the future that they're experiencing now. And um, I don't, I don't manipulate the universal flow of energy. So it's nothing like that. It's more so giving them the space to talk. And as they do so, as me just kind of being there as a facilitator, I appear to see changes happening. So I don't, I don't like saying that I do anything. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's really weird because I, I know that's the traditional kind of, you know, you go to a massage therapist or you go to a healer and they put their hands on you and transformation happens or you go to a therapist and, you know, you do hypnotherapy. I, I don't, um, and there's nothing wrong with that because everybody has something different. And I'm not saying what I do is better or worse or anything like that. But it just it's it appears to be what had progressed was me doing a lot of body work, cranial sacral, anything from cranial sacral therapy to deep tissue therapy. And during that time, the same thing. So I'm just going back was mm -hmm. happening. So I could see as I was holding people, for example. Or touching them, um, I could see these patterns around them, whether they were talking about it or not. If they were talking about it, they would light up mm. these these patterns within them and around them. Whatever that was, I don't know what they were. It could have been a belief. It could have been a, a past trauma. I don't know exactly what it was, but it would light up. And then I would just kind of watch that dissipate. Whatever was hold they were holding on to. Whatever that pattern was would just begin to just kind of fall apart or dissipate. And then they would get off the table and be like, oh, what the hell happened? Mm. That was amazing. So I did get burned out doing body work in, in, in a way because I was just, it became too much for me. So as that was happening, I began to see that I could do the same thing without having to touch somebody. Mm. 
I did even have training a long time ago from somebody that who I considered my first spiritual teacher. Um, she didn't call it quantum healing at the time. Uh, she called it the pulse technique. Her name mm. was Joe Dun- Joe Dunning, and then she uh, developed into something called the quick pulse. And I didn't really go through her whole training program. I was at the first class. She was here on this island in Hawaii. I mean, it was a great experience. And so I I had that, but I think I didn't really, I mean, I used it once in a while, but it wasn't really a part of my, the work that I was doing, my repertoire of, of my modalities. So I don't have a name for what I do. I don't even call it healing. I just say, you know, session. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's what I call it. So, and, you know, of course, it's you know, the right people come to me, I, I notice. Mm-hmm. And that's what I ask for. And within that, you know, people, I ask that people take responsibility for their own healing because you can only really do that. And then we'll just see what happens is what I would say. Let's just see what happens. So mm-hmm. they tell me, sometimes they'll tell me what's going on with them. And then we you, we might do a process where we close the eyes and I'll just have them focus on certain areas of the body or around the body or certain situations, whatever that is. And usually I'd say 90% of the time they're open enough where there can be a, a transformation that happens. Mm-hmm. Sometimes a they're not ready, so it won't happen. Usually, though, the, the the people will come and they'll be ready for whatever change that they're ready for their own lives. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I wish I could tell you something grand, like I do this amazing thing where <laughs> I take out implants, and um, maybe that's part of what happens. I don't know, but mm-hmm. but I think it's more so just being in a space where they can express themselves. A lot of people will just, as soon as they talk to me, will just start crying, you know, which I think is a wonderful, beautiful thing. Even if that's what happens the whole session, how awesome is that? Right. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for that. I, I love that. I love that you don't have a name for it. I have, I struggle with that myself. Like what is it that's happening here and what do I do with it? And what do I call it? Um, the progression of moving from from the physical contact as well to being able to do it remotely. But are, do you do you see things? So are you literally seeing with your eyes these patterns and uh, points and things that kind of light up? And my second question around that is, was the experience of being out of body and being connected to that other place, do you attribute that to these gifts or is it just, you know, part of you that's something that's developed over time? Okay. So do I see things? Sometimes it's more, sometimes I see things, but it's more, I feel what they're feeling. Mm -hmm. Uh, And even if they don't feel it, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, yeah. Even if they're numb to it, I, I still feel what they they're feeling. Mm -hmm. It's like a, I don't know how to explain it. I could put a label on it and say, you know, an empath or something like that. But it's, it's like, it's like feeling it or noticing it sometimes before they say it, if they realize it themselves or noticing it, if they don't say it. And I usually won't, won't be like, Oh, you have this 
because mm-hmm. that doesn't give them the opportunity to grow and to discover for themselves. So I never, if I get a piece of information or a sense or a feeling, I'm I'm, I'm not going to say anything that that they don't know themselves already because I believe people have their own right to discover on their own whatever that thing is. Mm-hmm. So, so it's like feeling it and then from that place of feeling it, then there might be a pattern or I can see like a geometric pattern or mm-hmm. I can see a little scene from their some moment in time they had like a little tiny scene and then just fairly recently <laughs> their family members that deceased have been coming through like they'll mm-hmm. just come right through and say something to me and i know they they want me to tell them something so I'll, i will tell them something and that's been happening probably the last i don't know like four months mm-hmm. so so i'm like okay so how do i deal with this well usually what will happen is if I if that comes first, that voice, I'll wait and be like, okay, whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. But then if they say something like, oh, and my dad passed away mm-hmm. last year, then I'll be like, okay, now I can say something. Mm-hmm. You know? Otherwise, I'm not going to just be like, there's a spirit that just came through that said, you know. Yeah. So I guess it's more feeling what they're feeling than anything when it comes down to it. And then the second part of your question. It, maybe my NDE had something to do with it. I don't know, but I think I'm kind of, you know, I, I like you in a way, like it's been a really long progression. So it's hard to make that, mm-hmm. that connection. That's why my quote unquote gifts came about is because of my NDE, because it's been, you know, lots of trauma, lots of learning, lots of figuring out, <laughs> lots of processing, lots of being with whatever over. 25 years from when that happened so maybe (laughs) yeah yeah that makes so much sense yeah yeah thank you i have a um i have a area of great interest to me which is how do people who have these experiences integrate it into their lives because i think for a really long time i just thought that people who you know had mystical experiences or ndes or or did the kind of work that you're doing and the kind of work that I'm now doing that they kind of arrived fully formed, you know, they just woke up at, you know, 20 years old and went, this is my life and this is what I'm going to do. And it's real easy. It's all clear. You know, I just, I, I just assumed that that's the way that it was. And now the more that, you know, my own journey and then talking to other people who've gone through these experiences, I'm really like, that's not it at all. And mm. it's so, difficult. You know, I've had the dead come to me as well. And I must admit, I was like, no, thank you. Nothing against the dead. And I don't really have a lot of fear of that, you know, but I have enough going. (laughs) It was just one more thing when I didn't have the capacity for it. And so the idea of, you know, like your question of like, what do I do with this? Or how do I approach this? Or, being sort of the voice from someone's dearly beloved deceased relative and then bringing through that message is a, I would feel a huge responsibility and uh, could be very Mm. healing, but also, you know, intense for folks. So I think it's really interesting that that's just come on for you in the past four months. 
and your questions are what mine would be like, okay, what, how do I, how do I do this? And what do I do with this? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you want to talk about, about kind of how it feels to like embody and, and integrate these experiences that happen? Yeah. Well, like, first of all, it's like, yeah, there's a real strong permission. I think that has to happen when you work with people and I kind of agree with you. Like, I don't know if I want that as far mm -hmm. as that experience with that is a huge responsibility to, to, to it's like, am I just hearing this? Am I, mm -hmm. am, is it, you know, is it just my mind speaking? You know, I don't want to give them the wrong message, you mm -hmm. know, and usually the message seems to be like, Oh yeah, well that's right on. Mm -hmm. But I don't want to consider myself a medium. I don't, I don't want people, actually, I don't want people to come to me for that at all. Mm -hmm. um, honestly. So the integration of experiences, I think if where I am today, where, whatever that is, <laughs> if I were to be there like two days after my near death experience, like mm -hmm. it would be like blown out of the water. Like mm -hmm. I, I wouldn't be able to handle it, handle life. It'd be too much. So I think, or I feel that it's really important that whatever people are going through, it's to take your time with it, whatever that is. Maybe it does go, maybe people are able to process really fast. Some people like be able to do, you know, amazing things within seconds. Um, so that's great, you know, but, but if it's like really intense, just be gentle with yourself, whatever that is. And that's what I've learned how to do is having to be gentle with myself, whatever I'm experiencing. Cause kind of like you it's like i mean you can only talk about so much it's like <laughs> well you talked about a lot in your book mm -hmm. but but you know what i'm saying it's like oh man i don't know if that answers your question robin but it's mm -hmm. how do you do you feel that too like do you feel like you just have to be kind of gentle with that process for you or are yeah. you able to integrate really fast <laughs> no not at all i mean my i think faster nowadays than before you know i think it has i i have a an understanding more of what's going on and how to meet things that come up but so it's faster but it's never fast and my mm. mo i have a motto that i you know learned from one of my teachers and it is the fastest way through is slow you know that mm. just like try to be slow and spacious and also like you talked about earlier, like I spent a lot of time not liking myself and being really hard on myself. And I could never be, I could never like hate myself enough into someone that I would love, you know, it just did not work that way. So now it is, it's like, I'm very, I center my tender parts. I center the vulnerable self. I go at the pace that is safe um, for that aspect I do the same with my clients. Like we move at the pace of the most vulnerable self so that because it's very easy to re-traumatize ourselves by trying to rush through these things or thinking we need to get somewhere, as you were saying in the beginning, like, where are we going? You know, it's just, it's more now, nowadays sort of just watching things unfold and letting it go at a pace that I can process through my body in a way that feels really good and safe for my body, which is brand new. Like I was rough on my really? body for so long. Yeah. Oh yeah. This is like, you know, this is probably maybe three to four, five years. I'm, I'm about, I'm almost, I'm, I'm closing in on seven years sober. So there was like the trauma of the 
you know, like not being sober for a while and having to deal with all of the things that were repressed. And then this new thing is coming in, which is, which is very slow, but it's about respecting the body, respecting the need for safety. It's a safety is probably my number one thing is safe for myself and safe for others. And so that often requires slowness and spaciousness. So, yeah. So this just curious, because I know that I've heard that a lot. Like, this is a safe space. I got to be safe with myself. What does that mean for you Mm. when you say safety? Yeah, that's such a great question. Mm. Let me sit with that for a second. I mean, I think safety means... I do think that safety and slowness and spaciousness are all really entwined because if I feel rushed or if I, if I'm in a nervous system response, you know, if I'm like really triggered and I decide to take action in that moment, or if I decide to, it doesn't really happen very much anymore, but there was a time when I would, you know, get into these really negative self-talk patterns because of being in a trauma response. So the part that I was talking to I was just abusing, you know, I mean, it was just hard on that part of me to just be, to hear that stuff and be told those things. I was not safe for myself. And so mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. developing the capacity to like feel when a trauma response is coming up, feel when something is arising and I can, it's just practice, you know, but I notice now it's like, Ooh, if I have an urge to, to jump in my truck and go camping alone for five days, in the middle of nowhere, that's fine. That's a great thing to do. And I love doing that. But if I really want to just like throw like a bag and, and not do any planning and just like jump in and go right now, it's probably not <laughs> that I want to go <laughs> camping. It's probably that I want to just get the fuck out of here, you know? So now when oh, that okay. arises, it's like, okay, I'm going to slow down. Like what's actually going on here? because I've driven away from places unsafe. I have that flight instinct where I'll just go. And so now it's like, I have the capacity to be with myself a little more, find out what's going on, try to meet whatever need is arising, try to be with the part that feels really unsafe. And that turning towards, you know, that courageous friendliness, that Maitri, that, uh, you know, Mm. that Sanskrit Maitri, that loving kindness, being with, turning towards, engaging with, gives me safety. And then when I'm safe, I can be safe for other people Then I'm not reacting from my, um, trauma basically. So, right. Yeah. Does that, how does that? Oh yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What a great description. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't really think about safety too much. It's, I guess there's just, it's all somatics, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. as far as, but it's, it's more so what you're saying is like, for you, that feeling of safety is like, it's, it's like that honoring of you, mm-hmm. right? Whatever's going on. And that's, that's, I guess what the, would be the same for me. Mm-hmm. I don't know what term I would use, but it's just like that honoring of me is, is the most important. Cause if you don't do that, how, how can you do anything for anybody? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and then you have this intuition also, which is you. I mean, there's no separate part of you from that intuition. That is a whole different kind of creature when it mm-hmm. comes to following that. Because I think I had mentioned earlier, you don't know exactly what it's going to tell you. It might tell you to, you know, 
make a steak tonight if you're a vegan, you know, right. you know, right. my <laughs> yeah, I've been there. Yeah, really? Yes. 100%. Yeah. I have, yes. Yep. Part of my story. <laughs> I love the word honoring. Or, yeah. I love that. That's such a perfect word for that. Honoring the self. Yeah. And it might be like, also like, I'm going to jump in the truck right now. I haven't made any plans. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go camping and you grab your stuff and go, but it's different than trying to get away right right? it's like it's like going to that joy as opposed to getting away from your environment Mm. so i think that also could be safety is that like following that passion or that whatever that excitement thing is for you is that take that takes you away from uh you're not denying your fear but it takes you away from that space of well what if this happens you know Right. I guess that mental mind space. Yeah, that's exactly right. Often, you know, some when that feeling arises for me, and I and I've learned to slow down with it. Sometimes that is what that part of me that's feeling, you know, really vulnerable needs. It's like let's let's get some distance and let's go somewhere and sit where I can have a three sixty view. You know, there's this place that I go that's. Uh, just in the middle of nowhere and I can, and it's pretty flat and I can see just sky and earth 360. And it's, it's like, that's what I need. And so I can honor that need, but not from exactly what you're saying as a, as a, as a sort of joyful kind of adventurous, you know, responding to an inner request rather than like, Mm. it feels like, even though there's no monster in the room right now, it feels like there's, and I got to get the fuck out of here. That's a very different Way of yeah. being. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I have one nice. final question for you. And uh, I don't know why it has been coming up lately as the final question, but I noted that you use the word she when um, speaking about God or about this bigger thing or about this presence. You said he, sh- he or she, but you said she. I did say she. I did yeah. say it. I don't mm-hmm. know what it is but i just it feels like it's you know we, we're so split here on the on the planet mm-hmm. when it comes i mean it's not just our genitalia obviously but it's wording and mm-hmm. our ideas about what it is to female consciousness and male consciousness and there's a lot of confusion around that i think here where from what i believe and i don't know from yeah. what I believe, not my experience, but from what I believe that it's just, uh, it makes sense to me that, you know, the female is the one that gives birth, mm-hmm. that the birth of creation, that that would be what God is, that would make sense to me, the, that creative energy. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's true. But that just, it makes sense to me. It was, I don't know what your question is. Sorry. Yeah, but. No, that's great. That's great. I mean, I, yeah. and the question was, do you feel like you have a relationship with some sort of, you know, all these words are so loaded, right? And they've been commodified is what they've been. This is what has happened right. to them. So the word, the divine feminine or the goddess or the great, you know, the great cosmic mother, which is one of my favorites, like they've been taken and they've been commodified and they've been turned into different Mm. things. But so without, uh, if we can strip away all of the kind of cheesiness or, or ungroundedness that surrounds that language. But the question is about the feminine. Do you, because, and I'll, I'll tell you the reason I'm asking the question, which is 
I was totally caught off guard when she arrived, you know, in the middle of like all these experiences and this healing and all this somatic things, there came a time when this connection to this presence came through and it felt like it's coming to me. It feels like it's coming from the earth for sure. Mm. And also this really, it's sort of the, the biggest force that I can experience that I have capacity for, or that I have experienced so far. And it is feminine. It is. And it, and it is, I understand it's not as simple as it's not binary. It's like not man, woman, and it's not, doesn't mean one thing's better than the other, but I was very astonished Mm. when she arrived. And so just because you brought in that, I was curious if you, you know, if you had a relationship with sort of a feminine divinity or, or something along those lines. So that was my question. Yeah. Okay. But can I ask you first when she came in, came in for you? So in my early twenties, I feel like she was talking to me a lot. I used to have these dreams that I had, I had great dreams about Aphrodite coming and she was funny. She was really like warm and funny. And she, in the dreams, she was married to Jesus and she was like, I love Jesus, but some days I do not mind when he goes off to get crucified, you know, and it's just like, <laughs> it's very funny. Nice. She was telling, she called him Joe. She called Jesus Joe affectionately. And, and she, mm-hmm. you know, so I had all these dreams and I was, I was very um, ungrounded in that, but it was, but I was earnest, you know, so I was like belly dancing and, and gardening and hanging out with my female friends and talking about the goddess a lot, but I didn't, other than the dreams and this sort of idea of what I thought the feminine was, I didn't really have a direct experience of her. And then in the last three years, three or four years, same kind of time frame, I just started to feel a different presence than I had ever felt before. And it has to do with the slowness and the and the body, you know, being very embodied versus sort of being up and out and in these other realms, but being like down in the body. So, yeah. So relatively recently, but kind of undeniably. Yeah. That's awesome. It feels like that to me too. It feels like it's coming from the earth. Like Mm -hmm. that could be, that could be the, I don't even, I don't even know how to, to describe it, but it's, it's like, we're here on the earth and we're in these bodies. These bodies are part of the earth. So it, it would make sense that even this whole idea of, of ascension or connection to something greater would come through the earth first and through our bodies so we could feel that mm. as opposed to like coming down or going out or yeah, I, I don't maybe have the same experience as you, but it's more so just. I feel I feel what you what you described to me as what you're feeling through your body. Mm-hmm. I have that same similar feeling. Um I could feel it as you were describing it. That's mm-hmm. why I know. Like I could feel that coming up through my toes and up my legs and it feels like that. If you were to describe it as feminine energy, yes, it does feel like that more so than than I guess that male energy and I've had the experiences of both, but mm-hmm. You know, and I think being in places, living in places that are not cities, it's easier to feel that. Being off grid, it's easier to feel that because you don't have the the same kind of electrics, you know, mm-hmm. on the grid. 
But yeah, that feeling that you were feeling that I just felt from you, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. I feel that when I when I go barefoot and walk outside. Yeah. And um, I know there's a goddess here. We have goddess Pele, uh, Tutu Pele. I've, I felt her the moment I first came here in 1998, which was just a year after my NDE. Mm. I helped my mom move, move here. I felt that instantly. And so did my mom. So I felt, I feel that connection to, she's a very specific goddess. And then I feel that with, you know, with the, with the nature around me too. It's like, I feel like even my cats embody that, the animals embody that same. So whether that's God, I don't know, but that's, I, I'm more familiar with that than what might be considered like a God energy. Cause I don't really know what that is. But I, but I can identify more with the planet and that energy coming through me. So I think that's pretty cool that you feel that too. Mm, yeah, that's amazing. I love that. Yeah, I, the connection with nature and, um, sometimes I call that force life herself. You know, it's just this thing. It's just what is moving through everything. And, and I've had an experience with Pele that was very intense when I lived on the big island. We walked, you know, I had a friend visit and we walked out to sort of the newest land, right? Like the most, the, 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 the land that had just, just been created. And that was powerful. And my, my experience of her was just pure creation energy that was unfiltered through any of my own sort of mental preferences about what creativity looks like. It was just this raw creative force really 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 mm. powerful so yeah i was kind of afraid of her i stayed over by mauna loa a lot <laughs> he's like old and quiet and you know doesn't he's just a big presence a big steady presence i didn't go down by paley very often because it's she's she's very intense yeah very powerful yeah she is The cloud people came today and tumbled and rumbled through the valley, dropping small hail that popcorned in the grass, and I could feel them, the cloud people, and feel how much work they had to do, taking care of all of the plants and animals and green things in the whole wide world. I could feel that they knew the valley needed nitrogen, so they headed our way to deposit the hail and rain and lightning and thunder, and I could see the plants and trees reaching up, stretching up to them to receive the bounty. I said thank you to the cloud people and the rain and hail suddenly thundered down so loud I could only be inside the fullness of that sound. And I remembered the four who are one who pulled me up and out and into that sound and I know, I know, I know in my bones that I am not alone and that everything, every single thing, is alive and animate. And I know what the materialists will say, and I feel sorry for them and that they can't see the world this way. After I'm dead, I'll remember this day, and it will entice me back to this planet to play again, to remember the cloud people again, and to feel them bring the rain. Thanks for listening, everyone. For folks who are new to the podcast, go back to the first episode, Preface, 
where you can listen to me read my entire book to you, also titled Earth, A Love Story, which will be published this summer. If you'd like to support the show, please subscribe and leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and please share this podcast with others. Our musical soundscapes are by Morgan Jenks. You can support his new album on Bandcamp and find out more information at morganjenks.com. And finally, to book a one-on-one session with me or to share your own account, visit honeyheart.org. Thank you.